So God created humanity in his image, which means, among other things, that God created us with free will. Therefore, we have the capacity to love and obey God or defy and reject God. And you know from the story in the garden that Adam and Eve used their freedom to reject and defy God. So God banished humanity from the Garden of Eden, and things went from bad to worse, actually. Into the world came even more violence, more deceit, more conceit. So in Genesis chapter 6, God decides to start all over again. He, He causes a flood, wipes out the world, starts all over again, and by the time you get to just a few chapters later, chapter 11, humans are at it again. Deceitfully, pridefully, trying to build a tower to heaven. Now, if I'm God, after 11 chapters of that, I'm done. So far, it's only been 11 chapters into the story between God and his relationship with his prized creation, humanity, and things have not gone so well. And if I'm God, I'm ready to quit. Thank God I'm not God. And in chapter 12, God comes up with a new strategy that doesn't seem actually all that strategic. He goes from general humanity to just one family. Chapter 12 of Genesis is a huge pivot point in the story of God with his creation. And he's going to pick one family through whom all the families of the earth will be blessed. He's going to call this family to be fruitful and multiply. The only problem is This couple is barren. They can't have kids. And they're old. Really, really, really old. It seems like God's plan is destined to fail. Let me just read it. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. We found out already in chapter 11, verse 30, that Abraham, or Abram, and his wife Sarai, or Sarah, Uh, have not been able to conceive. And they're in their sevens. Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. What is God really asking Abraham to do? He's asking him to go. Get out of here. Scram. Leave the familiar. Leave the predictable. Leave the comfortable. Leave the cozy. Leave the convenient. Leave your nation, which is hard. Leave your tribe, your clan, which is harder. And leave your father's household, which is And let's remember that Abraham and Sarah are no young chickens here. They are in their 70s. 
And God is asking them to go from Haran to Canaan. That's 400 miles on camelback for a couple in their 70s. This is a big deal. It's not like, you know, when we take a, a trip 400 miles, all we have to worry about is road rage and stopping for gas and potty breaks on time. But they have to worry about thieves. They have to worry about violence. They have to worry about uh, exhaustion and dehydration from the heat. They've got to worry not about a flat tire, which they can fix. They've got to worry about a flat camel. If their camel gets sick or dies, they're stuck. It's a treacherous journey, 400 miles back then. And Abraham has a father who's wealthy, Terah. Pretty soon, Terah's going to kick the bucket and leave Abraham with a sizable inheritance. Abraham has every reason to stay put in Haran with his father. What will he do? What will he do? Well, God says, you go and I will show. God says, you jump first and then I'll jump. Conversation we have in junior high, doesn't it? Like our, one of our friends says to us, "Like, don't knock on the door and run, and then I'll give you my skittles." Or go ask the prettiest girl in school out on a date, and I'll give you this five dollar bill. Or we say to our kids, "You go and clean your room now, and I will take you to Culver's later." You go. Abraham, and I will show later. God's asking a lot from Abraham. A lot. And usually when we interpret this story, we interpret it from the perspective of Abraham. Abraham's faith in God. But to me, this story is even more so about God's faith in Abraham. God trusts Abraham to trust God. God is betting the house on Abraham to do the unthinkable and impossible. To leave the familiar and the predictable and the stable. To leave the cozy, convenient, comfortable corner Abraham finds himself in at the age of 75. Well, God's putting a lot of trust in Abraham. And God makes these audacious promises. Five I wills. Abraham, if you do your part, if you know, I will show. I will bless. I will make your name great. I will make you a blessing. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. So many of us are asking the question, what is God's will for my life? I just want to know God's will and experience God's will. I want to be in God's will. <coughs> In order to experience and know God's will, sometimes you just have to jump first. You've got to be the one to take the risk. And then God shows up. Jump! Jump! I'm a child of the 80s. You know I have all these 80s songs going through my head. One of them is Van Halen. Jump! 
I saw that video so many times. I'm still trying to get the image of David Lee Roth wearing two tight leather pants out of my head. I cannot. Jump. Go ahead, jump. Might as well jump. That's Christian living. You've got to jump. God wants to pour out blessings in your life. He wants to show you his will, but he will not show unless you go. You've got to jump. It's all over scripture. You've got to step foot with the Ark of the Covenant into the Jordan River at flood stage. You've got to step in first, and then God says, I will bless, I will show, I will stop the water. You've got to go now and march around the walls of Jericho. Then I will bless you and cause those walls to come crumbling down. You go, and I will show. You go, and reconcile to the person with whom you're at odds. Then I'll bless you. You go, and stay pure, and I will bless you with an intimate friendship. You go, and give generously to the purposes of God through the church, and then I will bless you by providing all that you need according to my riches and glory. You go, and I will show. Jump. God picks a rather unlikely pair to bless and make a blessing, to birth a nation. And it's not because of Abraham's pedigree, it's not because of his education, it's not because of his wealth or his skill. I think God picked Abraham because he saw in Abraham a man who was crazy enough. To break free from the attachment to the predictable. To go on a new, risky, adventurous journey. Believing in a God he cannot see and going to a land he cannot know via Google Earth. He's just got to go. It's like Abraham's thinking to himself, you know, I can, I can play it safe and predictable and retire. I can downsize my house. I'm that old. I can downsize my hope. Just wait to kick the bucket. And then he says to himself, nope, boring. I'm going on a risky adventure with this God I cannot see, who trusts in me to trust in him. But what does Abraham do? Look at verse 4. With all that's at stake, Fighting the human proclivity to play my safe close to the best. Verse 4. So Abraham went, as the Lord told him. 75 years old. Let's not canonize Abraham, though, just yet. Abraham was not always picture perfect when it came to living by faith. Okay? To say that. He wasn't perfect. There was a time when uh, Abraham was worried for his life because his wife Sarah is, was beautiful and they were traveling in an unknown part of the world and uh, he was worried that they might kill him because his wife was so beautiful and take his wife. And so Abraham lied saying that Sarah, his wife, was his sister. He threw her under the bus so things would be good for him. Not a lot of faith there. 
And then there was a time when Abraham was waiting for 10, 15 years for God to, uh, you know, hold true to his promise and give him and Sarah, Baron Sarah, a child of their own, but it wasn't happening as soon as Abraham had thought. So Abraham took matters into his own hands, tried to force the hand of God, and slept with Hagar, Sarah's maidservant. And that was problematic. Abraham is about as consistently faithful as the Apostle Peter. <laughs> up and down, up and down, up and down. But, but when push came to shove, when the most was at stake, where the rubber met the road, when faith was hardest to express, when the jump was highest and the water deepest, Abraham jumped. He went to a place he did not know. He offered up his son Isaac to a God he could not see. What does all this have to do with us? Another 80s song, if I could. With or without you. YouTube, one of my favorite bands. Any YouTube fans in the house? Alright. I won't sing with or without you. I'm so tempted to, but I won't. Just one more. There are there are blessings that God will bestow upon you with or without you. That is, whether you love God or not, whether you obey God or not, whether you acknowledge or appreciate God or not, God is going to bless you in certain ways, despite you. With or without you, God's going to love you and bless you. We call this the unmerited, unconditional favor of God. We call this grace. But there are certain blessings God is waiting to pour out upon you with you. He will not do it without you. He is waiting for you and me to jump, to take a deep dive into his will, into water, over our heads, knowing that if he doesn't show up, we're dead in the water. But he does show up. You've got to jump. If you say no to God's God, you will not know and you will not grow. You will not know God intimately and you will not grow up spiritually if you say no to God's God. This is what Lent is all about, really. The season of Lent, the 40 days leading up to Easter. It's all about trying to detach ourselves from the familiar, from the safe, from the predictable, to go on a, a risky, adventurous journey toward the cross with Christ. It's, it's, Lent is a Garden of Gethsemane moment for us, the church, in which we in the garden pray with Jesus, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And then we put one leg in front of the other, and we journey with Christ to the unfamiliar, unpredictable, adventurous place called the cross. 
We go now to the cross so that we experience resurrection later. Die now, live later. Go now, I will show you later. Let's, let's face it, some, some of us, and I've had seasons like this, are just flat out bored with Christian living. It's bored. It's become safe and predictable and bland and banal. Boring. We can't remember the last time we went on an adventurous, risky journey because of a call from God to go. People in the world are wondering, why do Christians look so unhappy? Why does the Christian life look so stinking stale and boring? Because we've trained our ears not to hear God say, go. If it has been 5, 10, 15, 20 years since we have gone to a place that was unfamiliar and unpredictable, that required some risk of faith, it's not because God isn't calling you. It's because we're not willing to go. There's a huge difference between churchianity and Christianity. Churchianity is when we are the center around which all the other spokes in the wheel, including God, revolve. It's, it's, it's where churchianity is where we call the shots, where we stay in Haran and ask God to bless us there, where it's safe and predictable and convenient. Boring. Christian. It's when God is the center around which all the spokes in the wheel of our lives revolve. Where he calls the shots. Where he asks us to go on a risky, adventurous journey. When we have to jump first, then I'll bless us. I have in my past a number of no's to God's going. Do you? Am I the only one? And I have regretted every single one. When I have said no to God's go, I have regretted it. Now God forgives me, and I've moved on. But there have been times when God says, Len, go and have the hard conversation. And I said, nope. Len, go and give your time generously to that person in need. And I said, nope. Give more generously to my purposes through the church. And I said, nope. I have a litany of notes in my past to God's go. But every time I've mustered up the grace to say yes, I've never ever once regretted that. Not once. So I realized that when we go, we will know and we will grow. And that's been the case for me. And that's been the case for you. Whenever I find myself in Haram, safe, predictable, banal, bland, boring Christianity, where I'm the one in control and things are safe, God will say, God, to get me out of my spiritual sleep. 
I was in seminary, uh, experiencing that sort of bland, boring, banal Christianity. I was, I was stale, spiritually. And there were two churches looking at me to uh, potentially become their pastor. One was a church in Indianapolis. This is back in 2003. And it was a flagship church of our denomination. Lots of people from headquarters, Wesleyan headquarters, went there. It seemed like a pretty healthy church. Uh, uh, it would be a prestigious pulpit if there is such a thing. And they were looking at me. And then there was this church in Pennsylvania that had five pastors in ten years. They put the fun in this function. And they were looking at me too. And I prayed and I fasted and I prayed and I fasted. And Amy and I prayed and fasted and talked. And we knew at the end of the day God was calling us not to the healthy church, but to the one that put the fun in dysfunction. And by the grace of God, we went. And it was hard. But in seven years there, I experienced the presence and the power of God in the most profound ways. Not because of me, but in spite of me. I just went, and God was there. And he did miracles I would not see had I not gone. And as soon as that church became the kind of church I've always dreamed of leading, when that church fit me like a comfortable pair of jeans or like a, or like a perfectly broken-in baseball glove, and I got comfortable, guess what? God called me to go. He called me to come from the Northeast to the Midwest, which is scary for a Northeastern boy. I left, we left our family in Pennsylvania to come to a bunch of corn stalks. God was calling me away from the church to the academy to be a professor at Wesley Seminary of Indiana Wesleyan University. I was just hitting my stride as a pastor in my 30s. It was so comfortable. It was so familiar. Now i got to go from pastor to professor, from church to academy, from the Northeast to the Midwest. And I wanted to say no to God's go. But by His grace, despite me, I went. And in that go, I have gotten to know and grow. Know God intimately. Grow up spiritually. And I've experienced the work of God in ways I would not had I stayed in the familiar. God has given me opportunities to do things I never imagined I might do and do not deserve the chance to do, all because I said yes by His grace to go. And nine years in, I was getting comfortable as a professor. I had my weekends. And then this church in Marion <laughs> asked if I would serve as an interim part-time lead pastor while they looked for another full-time. And I was afraid. I was feeling pretty good as a professor now. Comfortable. How can I juggle two jobs? I'll probably fail at both. How can I keep all the balls in the air? How can I how can I manage my health and my family and my time? And but I made a mistake about seven years ago of telling God and Amy, two different people by the way, <laughs> that if Lake you ever opened up, 
And he would have asked me. And they asked me. I'd say yes. Why do I say that? And i got to tell you, serving as your pastor the last eight months has done wonders for my soul. Letting me pastor you, you have pastored me. And I've experienced significant joy in the last eight months. God really raised me from death to life spiritually because of you. And to think I almost said no to God's go. I would have missed out on so many blessings I've experienced here in the last few months. I would not have experienced Brian Wickie's jokes. <laughs> I would not have experienced Dory talking back to me during my sermons. <laughs> I would not have experienced Dave Bellamy's encouragement. I would not have experienced Judy and Jana and Carolyn and others praying wonderful, beautiful prayers over me. I would have missed out on Bob bragging about the Green Bay Packers. I would have missed out on Pastor Jared's bow ties just to think. Could have missed all that. Most of all, I would have missed out on the beautiful mess of a congregation trying to prayerfully and faithfully navigate this year of transition and all of the tensions and hard decisions that come with it. I would have missed that. What am I saying? I'm saying, if we do not go, we will not know or grow. I mean, you can know a lot about God cerebrally, intellectually, before you jump, but you cannot know God until you jump. Relationally. There's a Hebrew word uh, for no. It's called yada. Say that with me. Yada. Say it again. Yada. It's not an intellectual, cerebral knowing. It's the same word used when we read in the the Bible, Adam knew Eve. Adam knew Eve. Not intellectually. What man knows a woman intellectually? (laughs) He knew Eve. Intimately. Relation. You can know a lot about God cerebrally. You have the whole Bible memorized, backwards and forwards, Hebrew and Greek. But you cannot know God relationally and intimately until you go on a risky adventure that He calls you to. How can we go, like Abe, so that we know and we grow? Let me give you this picture. I'll leave you with this picture. One of the ways, I think, that we grow most and get to know God best, and I hesitate even saying this because it sounds so manipulative when a pastor talks about money, but it's true. When we put our money where our mouth is, that's the truth, honestly. Time, talent, treasure. All of us in here say we believe in God, we trust in God, and then when it comes to our time, our talent, our treasure, our money, we withhold because we're afraid God just won't pull through for us. 
Malachi 3.10 is a great verse. It says, uh, God says, uh, bring your tithe to the storehouse, to the temple. But by the way, in the Old Testament, the tithe was not 10%. It was closer to 32%. just want to tell you that. And, and God says, if you bring your tithe, if you trust me, if you go, I will show, I will bless you, I will throw open the floodgates of heaven, and you'll have so much blessing you won't be able to contain it. So pastoring this church in Pennsylvania that was reaching a lot of people on the margins, there was a guy in the second pew right behind me during the offering. His name was Bob Cool. Bob came to us homeless, living in his car. All of the stuff that he owned was in his car. Packed. He had nothing, not even gas money, unless we gave it to him. During the offering time, I watched homeless Bob with no money, just a bit. Offering plate came to him, and he, he put in not the silver, he put in green. Put cash in, which for him was anything he had to live on. It was his way of saying, God, I trust you. I will do my part. I will jump. I will go, and you will show. It's like Jesus with that story of the widow who put in just two mites in the offering plate. But he says she put in everything she had to live on. That's big. That's big. To give just a portion to God of our time, our talent treasure. To know that 10%, at least 10% of our income won't go to Walmart or Meyer or Amazon. But to the purposes of God through the church. I know for me, when I put my money or my time or my talent or my mouth is about faith in God, I get to experience God in a yada sort of way. I get to know and I get to grow. My spiritual biceps grow three inches when I trust God to do for me what I cannot do for myself. God says go. Go. God says forgive. Forgive. If God says serve, serve. If God says initiate a relationship, if you're in your 70s with a 20-year-old that's unpredictable, as unpredictable and unfamiliar as Canaan, just go do it. Because if you go, you will know and you will go. When my son Sam was six, he, um, he was able to swim in water over his head in the deep end of the community pool. We knew he could, but he wouldn't. His brother or sister were older, were swimming in the deep end in six feet of water, water over their head. But Sam, our six-year-old, would not. He stayed in the safe shallows, three feet of water, that into the shallow pool. And we kept telling him, Sam, you know how to swim. And we would watch Sam, watch his brother and sister in the deep end, and we saw that he would want to be out there. But he was afraid to jump. And we would try to bribe him, like good parents do. You know, Sam, if you jump in the deep end, uh, we'll let you watch 13 movies today, or we'll, we'll take you for ice cream four times, or whatever you want. Just... You can swim, Sam. Just jump in and reach and kick. Go in the deep. No, 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 no. A couple times I just thought of pushing him, but my wife wouldn't let me. Because <laughs> I knew he could do it. I knew 
He was made for deeper water than he was swimming in. And then one day, without even trying to bribe him, Sam just mustered up the faith, the strength, the courage to jump in. He just ran and he just jumped, launched right into the six feet of water over his head. And I still remember, still this image in my head of my son swimming around. Daddy, mommy, look! I'm swimming! I can do it! It's awesome! God made you not for the shallows but for the depths. And the only way you'll ever know that and the only way you'll ever know God is who he says he is is to jump in to water over your head knowing that if God does not show up you are dead. But he does show up. And when you go, you'll know. With that word, the first word to Abraham was go. And with that first go, God birthed a nation, the Jewish people. And with that same word, which was the last word of Jesus, according to Matthew, go. Jesus birthed a church through whom all the nations of the earth be blessed. It's time for the church to get going. To put our money where our mouth is. To jump into the deep end believing that God is who he is. Lord, first I want to pray for me, for us, for those times when we have said no to your God. Forgive us for playing it safe, which is churchianity, not Christianity. Christianity is a roller coaster. It's adventurous, it's risky, it's unpredictable, it's fast at times. And if our Christian walk feels like a Midwestern flat cornfield, something is wrong. God, would you break us free this Lenten season from our quest for the convenient and the comfortable and the cozy corners. Set our hearts free to follow you, to jump, to go. And we believe you'll show up. We believe you'll find a way to bless. Lord, we want to know your we want to know you're a God of your word. And the only way to know you and know your truth is jump. God, give us the grace, give us the capacity to go all in. When you give us an offering plate moment, when we can withhold ourselves from you or give ourselves to you, God, give us the grace to throw ourselves into the offering our time, our talent, our treasure. Banking on a God we cannot see, whom we know is real. In the name of Jesus Christ,
Christ, the one who says, go.